0: I'm so pleased to introduce a very special person to me in this pet podcast, Meredith preston McGee, Secretary General of the Global Pluralism Center. Meredith Preston-Magee has devoted more than 20 years to addressing conflict and instability in Africa and Asia in some of the most troubled situations. From working with the Naga in Northeast India and the indigenous communities on the Thai-Myanmar border to supporting UN efforts in Kosovo, northern Iraq, and several African countries. Her work has straddled frontline negotiation, policy, and diplomacy. Most recently, as Africa Regional Director with the Center for Humanitarian Dialogue, she oversaw the humanitarian dialogue's complex mediation and dialogue efforts in Nigeria, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Sudan, Somalia and South Sudan, among other places. In the Kenyan national dialogue and reconciliation process in 2007-08, she advised the panel of eminent African personalities led by the late Kofi Annan. I first met Meredith in Sudan. And more recently, since she has joined the Pluralism Center, I have more opportunities to meet with her and observe the incredible work she is doing at the Pluralism Center. Meredith became the Secretary General of the Global Pluralism Center in 2019. I'm really happy to even welcome Meredith because I have another connection with her. Her father, Justice Preston, was very kind to me when I worked as a full-time lawyer, and I have never forgotten how how much he helped me. so today it gives me great pleasure to welcome Meredith to this interview, and I want to start off with asking you a question Mer- Meredith, you have accomplished so much in your life. I would like you to share with us some of your experiences when you were working in Africa.
1: Mabina, thank you so much um, for inviting me to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Um, It's been wonderful coming back to Canada, um, but uh, it's a really lovely opportunity to get to reflect on some of the amazing opportunities that I had when I was working across the African region I um, I first moved to Africa almost more than 20 years ago, and was very fortunate to be um, allowed in to a number of different communities across the continent. Something that is always really um, struck me was the extraordinary diversity of the different cultures, the different communities that I had an opportunity to interact with. Primarily, thanks to my work, it was, it was communities that were suffering from conflict. Um, and so often I was meeting with communities in times of struggle, in times of trauma. But one of the, uh, w- there were some common threads that, uh, that, traveled throughout all of these experiences, and, and one of them, I would say, was um, the extraordinary power of the sense of community in these different places, and really desire to seek social justice, to seek a better life for their families, um, and also really embracing the um, the different perspectives that we were able to bring to The communities, as we discussed, um, their conflicts, their fears, their hopes, and and so forth. So I feel really fortunate to have spent time in these different communities um, around the continent. As you mentioned, I was part of the the mediation process in Kenya in 2007 and 2008. Um, I know East Africa has a special place in, in your heart as well. Um, It was a particularly difficult time, um, but I was very fortunate to spend a lot of time very closely with uh, His Excellency Kofi Annan and really have a a front row seat um, to see how a process like the Kenya National Dialogue and Reconciliation could be put together that really brought Kenya at that time back from the brink, as it were, of um, a conflict that could have really pulled the country apart. It also really taught me the limitations of many of these processes that while um, Mr. Anan and the panel did extraordinary work in Kenya, the the process of weaving a society back together after they've been in conflict, even when you feel like you may not have fallen down um, over the cliff into a longer conflict, the trauma and the divisions still really remain. Um, and so when I think about Kenya today and I think about my experiences there, I'm also um really conscious of the amount of work that still remains to be done in the country and, and the extraordinary work that a lot of the local organizations there are doing.
0: Well, Mary, that you you know, I followed that very carefully. And it's very kind what you say, but honestly, from my point of view as somebody who, you know, has family in Kenya, my mother was born there and I I. I visit Kenya a lot. Uh, I never thought that you would succeed because it was almost impossible. Today, sitting here comfortably, you'd think one can talk about what has still got to be done or what still has to be done. But, you know, you literally, uh, with your good work and uh, Kofi Annan and the team's good work, you stopped civil war there. And so, yes, there are still challenges, many challenges, but it's still one of more stable countries in Africa. And so you should be very proud of your work because it was, for me, it was almost an impossible task. I never thought that you would be able to succeed because it was so difficult. The parties were so, so apart. And so, uh, you know, it's something that you should always cherish because at least we didn't have bloodbaths. It was literally going to be that. So, and I have been in Kenya as a young child during the Mau Mau period. And so I know Kenya really well. So I would say to you that you really did a good job in advising the eminent panel and Mr. Kofi Annan, and you really should take a lot of credit for that. But what do you miss about your work in Africa? Because I can tell you, I miss Africa every day. I miss staying in Africa every day. There's something very special about being in Africa.
1: There really is. And um, I, I have to say we just moved house and we were unpacking our things that have been in storage from Kenya. And as I was dusting off many of the pieces of furniture, the smell of the earth came back to me. Um, And as you know, the sense of smell is particularly powerful for evoking memories. And so it really did did take me back um, to being there. I I, I do miss getting to spend time with communities. I think that those of us who do work on um, different policy issues, I think it's really, really important to be spending time with communities that are directly affected by the decisions that get made in capital cities and so forth. And so um, it was something that I was very committed to to continuing to do even when I came back to Ottawa, but of course the pandemic has made that very difficult. So I really do miss just um, spending time with different communities, being, constantly confronted with different perspectives. I think it's a really important process for all of us because it helps remind us not only why we believe what we believe, but it helps challenge our own unconscious biases and our own assumptions about the way that certain things should be done. And I had such extraordinary opportunity to spend time in really diverse communities in across the African continent. And I really do miss that now.
0: And you know, I. I'm a big dreamer, and I often dream when you were appointed and and knowing your background that one day with the Pluralism Center, you will return to Kenya to talk about and do training on what pluralism should look like, right? It is embracing the difference, and uh, as His Highness the Aga Khan says, and uh, I, I just see you doing, continuing the tremendous work you were doing. So this is just a little break and then you will have more time. As you know, His Highness has a lot of, uh, you know, does a lot in Kenya and East Africa and Africa. So I see you certainly using the skills and, you know, the resources from the Pluralism Center to return one day. But um, let me continue and say that, you know, in uh, 2019, you decided to join the Globalism Center for Pluralism. Uh, and why did you take that big step?
1: Well, you know, um, having spent 20 years really focusing on how one can build dialogue in the middle of conflict, which is an extraordinary um, space to work in and and something that I really cherish, um, I, I was increasingly feeling like the tools of mediation were a singular narrow set of tools for much broader social issues that are facing us today. And when this position um, came came to me um, with the Global Center, it was such a powerful reminder that um, for for the bigger existential questions that face us as a human society today, pluralism is at the heart of how we need to understand Um, how we can work together successfully as societies and more broadly as the human society. And so I really felt that this was the moment to move from a smaller slice of of the wider social issue um, around conflict to be able to engage. and, And I saw pluralism as absolutely um, critical both to societies that were succeeding in in my work, but as well the breakdown in pluralism, the inability to manage difference in a way that was respectful and peaceful was at the heart of every conflict that I worked on in Africa and around the world. And I very much believed that we could take that understanding and build something um, really special through the programming of the global center to not just be improving society's responses to conflict, but re- improving society's responses to how we govern ourselves and how we interact in all different facets of society. And that's why it was so exciting to me.
0: And you know, uh, I now see the center as if every- everybody should know what the center is about and what the vision is, but I would like to share people first of all why was the center established in ottawa
1: there were um as as you will know well um, his highness the aga khan has thought um, possibly more than any global leader i would say around what pluralism really means how you build these choices in a society to build positively on your differences and diversity embrace those and, and and try and build as inclusive as possible a, a society. And while I think his highness would acknowledge that Canada is an unfinished project as so many countries around the world are, um, there was a feeling that Canada has embraced this concept of pluralism. And, um, and, and has built that into the DNA of our identity as Canadians, perhaps more strongly than many other places. And so it seemed to be the natural home for such a centre. And so in, um, in partnership with the Government of Canada, um, who again share this, this commitment to, um, to pluralism, both in Canada and abroad, the centre um, here was founded with a view not only to be um, a, a resource for, uh, for different institutions and, and government colleagues here in Canada, but very much a, a global resource to advance um, understanding and commitment to pluralism.
0: And You know, um, having His Highness speak about this many, many times, what he speaks about, why, why he chose Canada and why why he thought Canada was the perfect country to have this center in. Sometimes we in Canada forget. And sometimes, and especially at this time in our country, uh, there is uh, so much uh, pain uh, around with minorities and inclusion of minorities, indigenous people, black black community, racialized minorities. You know, um, when His Highness talks about um the vision in Canada, and how people live in Canada, I often think, and I have said it to him too, that, you know, it, uh, we still have challenges. And yet, he thought, he thought that Canada was the right place. And uh, why, uh, you know, from all the work you're now doing, why do you believe that The centre being in Canada is the right place to have the centre.
1: Well, I do think that Canada has um, a particular um, affinity to an understanding of the notion of of pluralism. But I would also say um, that we have to be quite careful as well because pluralism looks dramatically different in every country. And something that uh, I believe that Canada on the world stage has Um, been quite, um, uh, quite consistent in terms of how Canada engages globally is that we as Canadians are also quite pluralist in how we approach engaging with other countries, with other cultures and how we would Um, if I could sort of use this in inverted commas, export Canadian ideas and experience, that we don't seek to say Canada has this amazing model for pluralism and everyone else should, should seek to emulate Canada. I think what one of the real intrinsic values of of Canadian approaches to this is real humility and to say that diversity is diverse and pluralism is going to look very different in every country and what Canada can bring to this conversation is also an introspection to help other countries think about what pluralism would mean. What does pluralism mean for Nigeria? What does pluralism mean for India or Indonesia or China is very, very different than what it means here in Canada. And when we think about um, where we start a conversation on pluralism in any country, what we start with is a reflection on which differences matter in your society because they will be different in different places. Different issues will be contested. Different groups will be marginalized. Your own history as a society will um, sort of dictate how you understand and see differences. The social norms will be different. And so we really seek at the center, and I think this is an intrinsically Canadian thing as well, to be quite humble and not prescriptive and really take an approach of also learning with other countries about how they understand their own diversity and how they seek to manage it better.
0: And, and you know, uh, when, when you were appointed, I thought that uh, you were such a good appointment because uh, you, you have traveled around the world, you've been dealing with issues of uh, mediation, which I sort of you know, connect very much to pluralism. And so you've arrived with a vision, you've arrived with a, a background, you know, you, you've not just been in, in North America or in places where there's not, not the conflict. And so uh, of course we all uh, have to learn more about pluralism and embracing the difference but uh, you already have that background and it would be very uh, useful if I could ask you if uh, um, how you would define pluralism. Well, that's an important question
1: because it isn't a term that is uh, widely known. Um, and uh, and many people work on pluralism issues without even really realizing that they are or, or using the term itself. The the the. The quickest definition that that we like to use is, is as follows. Diversity exists in every society. All of our societies have differences and diversity is inherent in the sort of the human condition in every society. What why pluralism is different from diversity is pluralism is the choice pluralism is the action the conscious decision to to see that diversity as a strength in your society and positively engage with it you don't just have diversity in a society and do nothing with it. You can engage positively, make choices as government if that's everything from um, uh, provisions around the rights of minorities, access to, um, to different language for different language groups, freedom of religion to how ordinary citizens would make a conscious choice about how they're engaging with different members in their community. How the media would depict different groups in a society. All of these different choices and actions by different sectors in society together make up what we refer to as pluralism.
0: It's true that it's not uh, very well, you know, it's, it's in many places, it's a new concept. And, uh, you know, people understand diversity very well. And why I, I just, whenever I have heard His Highness speak about, Siyadhina Khan speak about the uh, pluralism uh, and I've, I've always felt that the word is so powerful because it's talking about uh, uh, bringing people together. And when we talk about diversity, we are really talking about the difference. And, you know, when he talks, he talks about embracing the difference. And and I see this so much um, uh, as part of the Pluralism Center and also how to get across what, what pluralism is. Uh, about all about, and you know, it's a work in progress, of course. If it was done, we would be in a different world, but it's a work in progress. And that's where we have to go. And, you know, now you've had uh, almost a year since you've been at the center. And so I hope this is not a premature question to ask you. What is your vision of the center? What would you like to accomplish?
1: Well, um, I mean, there's there's so many so many um, so many things. I would say first of all that I would like the idea of pluralism to be better understood globally. And as I said, I don't care if they use the word. I think the idea is what's powerful. Um, I would like to see stronger commitment to diversity as the positive basis for a successful society from leaders around the world. And I would very much like to see um, the global center uh, be instrumental in generating that real commitment. I want to see um, the center itself be able to be reaching out as you mentioned, uh, Mobina, to Kenya and around the world to be working with local partners to start making some of these concrete actions realities. We've been very fortunate um, that we uh, confer the Global Pluralism Award, which um, is entering its third cycle now, and through that have developed an extraordinary and growing network of pluralism champions around the world. I would like to see us expand that network and expand the different ways that those champions and others are both celebrated as well as supported and able to really expand their work. I would like the idea of pluralism to be more closely built and connected into a lot of our own foreign policy thinking in Canada and international cooperation around the world. I think we're at a time when international cooperation is potentially at one of its lowest points and ideas around pluralism, the ethic of pluralism, of dealing constructively with difference across societies as well as within societies needs to be an absolute commitment at the multilateral level as well as the national level. And I would really like to see the center play a very strong role in that. I would also of course say, um, and you'll not be surprised, that I would like to see the center playing more of a role in the area of, of peacemaking As you said, um, so much around pluralism is about dialogue over difference, is about helping people find ways of coming together, even if they don't necessarily feel like they have as much in common. And that is so closely aligned with um, so many of the core principles and ethics around building peace. And I feel that pluralism has an enormous amount to offer in peace processes where perhaps the focus on positively managing diversity hasn't been placed at the center of peace processes and peace agreements in the past. And I think that there's a lot that could be done there to help build more sustainable peace. I think there's so many other ways that the center can be um, involved and engaged. And uh, I have to say that we're doing some really exciting work online at the moment in the area of education, developing the Global Pluralism Index, which would help countries understand essentially the state of pluralism in their own countries. And our team's been amazing at continuing to work uh, remotely as, um, as we all are right now. And I think many of these ideas are able to um, continue to transmit and transfer even when we aren't physically able to come together.
0: And, you know, uh, who better than you? Because I've known of your work in Africa. You're not new to me. I've known of your work. And when you talk about peacemaking, that's sort of, uh, I've always seen that as the first step. And that's why when you talk about Kenya and Kenya and all the, you know, you feel more could have been done. I think you did the first step by stopping the wars, right? And then the next step is to build on people you know, accepting pluralism, to let people live, to include people in their, uh, in their, in their um, thought, in their, in their power sharing and stuff. And so I feel that that's the next step. And I'm, I'm so happy that you still want to do this, because I think it's very, are hand in hand, you have to have peace before you can talk about pluralism. And, uh, and you have skills on both. So the the Centre in Canada is somebody that works in, in in Canadian politics and Canadian government arena. I'm so happy that we have the perfect person to do, be the Secretary General of the Pluralism Centre. You were speaking about the awards, and I've had the pleasure to attend the last two awards, and every time I've attended, I've just been blown away with the accomplishments of the award recipients, you know, uh, the first time the lady from Nigeria got the award and uh, it was just amazing what she had accomplished. And then, no, she was from Kenya, wasn't she? Um, The from Kenya, I make a mistake and uh, and watch how she had been involved in peacekeeping. That was just amazing. And then this time with Deborah winning the award and uh, you know, I, I know you've heard me say this, that when, when she talked about books and being a child of Africa you know, books were so precious when I grew up. We had to share books and there weren't many books in the library. And so her vision and not just books, but books that represent, peop, you know, people in that area, books that represent African children. So and for her to get the award, you really have raised uh, not only just the fact her work, but the, the, the reality for other publishers to look at uh, how it's so important that people be represented in books. And I wanted to ask you, what is your memory of uh, one of these? You know, and it's hard because they're all so dynamic. Or maybe some memories or some words that these award recipients have, uh, that have stayed with you. There are so many that have stayed with me, but I'd like to ask you, what uh, what has stayed with you?
1: Well, I think um, maybe, maybe two things, and you're right. I mean, this, this group of award winners are all just so inspiring. The, the first thing for me that is so important is that they're all examples to all of us as citizens in our own countries and in our own communities that you can do something. The power of local action, and the power of um, of recognizing a problem and not wringing your hands about it, but really doing something. And Deborah um, Ahankora is a wonderful example of that. The community of teachers in the Balkans, learning history that is not yet history, taking on the very narrow ethnic nationalist language and stories in the curricula that they all teach as history teachers and saying this isn't right. This isn't what our students need to learn. They need to see the different perspectives that led to the conflicts in the Balkans. They need to understand these different perspectives so that they can be reconciliators. As citizens of this region, for me, that conscious choice is so incredibly powerful and a reminder, I think, to all of us in more comfortable settings, like in Canada, that often many of our award winners do this at enormous personal risk to themselves. I would say, though, in terms of the power of words, of course, I'm going to turn back to Deborah um, as as a as a writer and a um, you know a, a social entrepreneur in the area of literature. She has particular power with words, and she said to us when she came to the center that this was the first time she felt like she could be herself that she was working on this huge range of issues around representation, inclusion, inspiring young people, all of these pieces. And so many of the donors and others wanted to put her in a box. They said, you work with children at risk or you only work on issues of African feminism. And she said, I work on everything. And that pluralism gave her the language to represent all of these pieces that she was working on. And she said she felt like it was coming home. And I really hope that that message would resonate with others who are doing this work on the sort of front lines of their own societies and communities every day and that they would see that there is this bigger ethic and that there is sort of a a home for um, for these ideas and for these extraordinary actions.
0: And you know i can I can so clearly remember Deborah when she first came, and you know when she spoke at the award ceremony and then then i I was very privileged you made it possible for me to spend time with her after the awards and how much she flourished and how much she was finding her place and every time I heard her speak, I felt she was finding her place more and and I just felt that the award was just part of it. What she was taking back was so much more confidence about what she was doing. And, you know, of course, she left here with many, many friends. And, you know, she's, uh, uh, I encourage people to look up her up and see the special books and that she gets published. And it's pretty special. Meredith, you know, I could keep asking you so many questions. There's so much I can cover. But I would like to, uh, to just end this by saying, you're not just the Secretary General of the Pluralism Center. You're also a mother, a wife, and tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Well. Mabina, I have to say, it takes a, a family and a village to move from Kenya to Ottawa and not lose one's mind. And I've been um, just incredibly fortunate. My my husband is is British. My children are um, are seven and eight, and born and raised in Kenya, um, born at the Aga Khan Hospital in the Princess Zara Pavilion, which they're very proud to uh, to remind everyone. Um, and I have to say that they've been um they've been an extraordinary support for this kind of move and this kind of change but also really importantly reminding me in and reminding all of us i think about how you go back to basics when you talk about these issues i um gave an interview i'm going to out myself here i gave an interview on Ottawa Morning last year after i joined and my children were listening. They were very excited that mummy was on the radio. And at the end of the interview, my son turned to my husband and said, Daddy, what's pluralism? And I thought, I've failed as a mother if I haven't managed to get the issue across to, to my son. But we had some very important conversations since then about what it means. And when you talk with young children about this, it's often very simple. More ideas, more different perspectives are better than just one. Two, three weeks ago, he and I talked about George Floyd's murder and about the things that are happening. And I, he said, I talked to him about Black Lives Matter. And I said to him, Do you understand why people say Black Lives Matter? And he said, because some people think that black lives don't matter, and that's terrible. So we have to say that black lives matter. And it's a reminder that our children are often more intuitive than we are about what is right and what is just in a society. And so they keep me sort of wonderfully grounded in the midst of all of this work. And of course, they make me laugh, which makes
0: a difference every day. And you know, that's, uh, uh, that you what you say is so powerful because uh, when you see the protests and when you see the young people participating, you know, I I was um, been part of protests for a very long time with the apartheid protests in London as a university student and then here, um, so and you know it was n- normally you know uh, minorities who were at protests and this time in many places. It was white people who were at the protest and just white people. And what it showed me that the young people will bring the change, you know, and we need to give them more latitude. They will find a way to make us even more cohesive. So, uh, you you know, it, and thank you for sharing that, what, what your son said. It's so powerful what you said. And, you know, Meredith, I want to tell you that I could ask you so many questions. And I'm so uh, grateful, and I. What I ask is that maybe in you know, a year or so you will again um, let me interview you and find out where we are at, what we are doing, and you know uh, I want you, to, you know, I want to uh, uh, say to you that uh, you know the Aga Khan you often says that pluralism plural, pluralism means not only accepting but embracing human difference, and that's also the the challenge here for us. Uh, with our indigenous peop- uh, people, so we could learn so much from them. And His Highness has often spoken about with the mediation process about learning the healing healing process, learning about the healing lodges. We have so much we can do. And yes, we can talk about pluralism in different uh, countries. We can talk about it in different places. But it starts at home. And it's been at this time when during the pandemic, this is the perfect conversation to have, is we have to look at embracing the difference. Thank you very much, Meredith, uh, for letting me interview you today, and stay safe at this time of the COVID pandemic. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mobina. It's been such a pleasure, and I look forward to us continuing the conversation.